Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Just uh, before I throw it to Susie, I'm just going to add one point that I know that you're absolutely uh, right about. I mean, I know you're right about everything that you are. No, I'm definitely well, not right about everything. Well, now. you're on our show, and you and we are about social justice, and so we are in <laughs> line with your thinking. Let me, let me not use right and wrong. We I are like in that. line I like that. with each other's belief system. One of the problems is that racism, white supremacy for people of color is felt. And Mm. for white people, it's thought about. Mm. And so a lot of that, I once had a a student gave me one of the best lessons I've had who said, it's just not that serious for us. A white student said that. And that was just so powerful to me. That clicked into another level of the trainings I offer because if you don't have it in your body, then you don't have access to it every second of the day like a person of color does. Every day, that trauma reminds me that it's there. It doesn't mm-hmm. go away. And if you get the mm-hmm. opportunity to think about it, then yeah, it is going to be a light switch. But that switch is always on for people of color. It doesn't go anywhere. And that's well, the reality. Exactly. So I appreciate what you're saying. And to that point, right there, that goes back to what I said earlier. I will never know what it's like to be a black person in America. So I don't want to know this whole thing. And I've been saying this for years, way before TikTok existed and social media. Exists, I've been saying this for years. Quit with the, we, we need to quit trying to get white people to be empathetic. That is not possible. That is, that is an impossible dream. And so by doing so, we're peddling the wrong message and we're getting the response that's going to be due that message, which is it's not working. Save your empathy and fix your cousins. Listen, I don't need to know what it's like to be black in America. I just need to believe it exists. Exactly. That's it. If I just believe, listen, they believe God exists and they'll go, they'll fight toe and nail for that. And they've never seen God. So listen, just believe it exists. And when your uncle Fred is a racist, say, hey, you're being racist. You're going to stop now. You're done. Get out of my house. No safe spaces for them. Now that's going to make real change. Empathy will never happen. I'm going to add one more thing because I think yes. it, it dovetails nicely, which is the idea that so as white people are thinking about racism, not racist, I don't want to be a ra- anti, I don't want to be racist, I want to be anti-racist. What happens is when they do what you're talking about, which is call out Uncle Fred, it now taps into the feelings, okay? Exactly. And that's the problem is now they're feeling something and the idea of feeling is uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to feel like this. I don't, you know, and as a result of that, now we've entered into change territory where your belief systems really get tested. Right. But if you exit left, you've, you've just, you've lost the message. You missed the experience. Plus what has paved a big path for the LGBTQ community, it's parents not wanting to ostracize their children. Parents that said, you know what? If my child's gay, I'm cutting them off. And that does happen. And that's sad as hell. And, and that's that I, I pisses me off. But there's a whole lot of parents who didn't do that. Because when it came time, when it came time to pay the piper, when it came time to stand in the middle of the fire, they said, no, I can't do it. Okay, fine. I'm not cutting my child off. I love my child too much. So when you call Uncle Fred out 
And if y'all really have a familial relationship and you really love each other, he might get pissed and leave one time, two times, three times. There's going to come a time where Fred's like, you know what? I would just rather have a relationship with Samantha. So I'm going to listen to what she's saying. And that's where change. I, I say it all the time. Change happens in relationship more than it does from the outside in. So I, I totally agree with that. Go ahead, Susie. I could I could talk forever to a job. Oh my God. Well, and I want you to, and I can too, you know, Jolly, I don't, I don't think you know this, but the way that I met JD was in graduate school, I guess, eight years ago, where she taught a class called multicultural mental health, which is now changed. But I walked in as, you know, this cis white woman of privilege thinking there wasn't a racist bone in my body. And I met JD and everything that you're saying, I just so appreciate. And, you know, the, I remember calling myself in my first class an ally and <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm newer at it. And I know, like you said something about performative posting and something I listened to, or we read, but I really appreciate everything that you're saying that is so felt. I can feel it in your body. And, you know, one thing Jamie taught me is that, again, I will never know what it feels like to be her. I will never know. And so I just appreciate all the words that you're saying. And on that, why do you think white people get so riled up when we say white people own racism in this country and are called colonizers? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> and it's one that really I could talk for hours on because white people, the same people who got the Confederate flag in the front yard, want you to let the past go. It's, it's, this, it's this, there's the cognitive dissonance that we allow to continue. Um, when you allow cognitive dissonance, that is the safe space. And the safe space is I wasn't there. I didn't do it. And, and you're right. Let me make one point here, kind of about what, what you were saying in the beginning of, uh, of what you were just now talking about. There's a lot of good points. Okay, so if we want to talk about Target being burned down, let's go back to the rioting. Oh, you're right. Riots are bad. Burning down property is bad. I get it. You know, stealing things, looting, that's bad. But the problem is we're having these conversations in vacuums. In a vacuum, rioting is bad. Okay, fine. In a vacuum, looting is bad. So now let's leave this you know, by proxy educational environment we've created to have this conversation and come back to reality and have a contextualization of why the riots are happening. Let's have a contextualization. Of why would there be looting in a community that has 22% poverty versus the 9% of poverty? Let's have a contextualized conversation. And so white people don't want to own it because we allow them to live comfortably in their cognitive dissonance and they want to view it in a vacuum. In a vacuum, you're right. I didn't do it. In a vacuum, I wasn't there. But at the end of the day, it happened and there is a cause and effect and the effect is now. And so if I benefit from that and this person doesn't, that's not fair. I don't have to take responsibility for that. I don't have to feel guilty for that. I'm going to be, to any white listener listening to this right now, let me put this in, in terms that are non-ambiguous. And for Trump listeners, that means it's not vague. <laughs> so let me be very clear. I don't feel guilty for slavery. I don't feel guilty for Jim Crow. I don't feel guilty at all. I have zero guilt in my body. Oh, well, wait a minute. Yes, because guess what? I wasn't there. I can't feel it. I, I, I don't know anything about it. I'm not trying to feel guilty or feel empathetic. I'm trying to find a solution because I recognize where we are now. 
And that is what people that is where white America doesn't want to come to. White America thinks we're asking people to feel guilty. How can you? You weren't there. You can't feel guilty for something you wasn't present for. You can't feel how, how it's like to be black in America. You can't feel these things. So stop with the feelings. Recognize what the system is. Recognize how it was made. Recognize the chain of events that went from there to here. Recognize what got us here and then recognize how we stop it from continuing. That's all. Because now you are here. And if we allow it to continue, then your grandkids are going to be doing the same shit. And now you did do it. Right. So there, we have to stop this disassociation. We have to start making it associate and not allow this disassociation to continue. Right. Because I respect why we say, hey, colonizer, they just we have to stop giving credence to these dumb arguments. I, I wasn't there. Cool. Nobody's talking about that. Yeah. Nobody's talking. I'm not asking you to apologize for what they did to Native Americans. Nobody's asking that. Nobody's asking you to apologize for what happened to black America during slavery. Nobody's asking that. We're just asking to recognize the results of it and how do we go forward fixing it? Because obviously that's not fair. Obviously, if 22% of black America lives in poverty, if 9% of white America lives in poverty, that's a 2.4 times difference. That's clearly not fair. That didn't happen because black America's lazy and black America's this. You hear them say it's not color, it's culture. No, you just changed the word dummy. Listen, if if that exists, it exists because of a system created it, period. And if you don't do anything about that, well, you might not have done slavery, but you did it now. And and that's why that's why white America keeps saying we allow them to and that we have to attack that association. OK, so you're using and I we super appreciate mental health terms. What do you think is happening to the collective mental health in this country based on exactly what you're saying and where we are right now? That's a good, it's a great question, actually. So something I talked about before, and I think I'm sure you guys have, and that's just the trauma in a community, right? So the black community, and I, I say black, people say all the time, what about the, this is true about other communities as well. You guys just understand that's my biggest exposure, yeah. and that was what I did for so many years. But marginalized communities experience trauma as, as, a, as a child because their parents have that trauma. Mm-hmm. Their parents have this unresolved trauma. You know, we're not sending all, all, all everybody to counselors. So they have unresolved trauma that's going to get passed down. And then that unresolved trauma is learned and taught and passed down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is something that is not respected by the majority community, which is the white, white community. It's not respected. And I think that the trauma in those communities gets worse when it's invalidated. And that's what white America does is invalidates it. No, no, that's not true. Just get a job. Right. Martin Luther King said it best. Telling a man to pull himself up by his bootstraps when you don't have boots is a bigger insult. You know, and so that's what's really happening, in my opinion, in terms of mental health, is as a country, communities are experiencing group depression. Yeah group trauma and then the larger community that's not experienced that is invalidating it and we all know you guys much better than me because you're far more educated but we know what happens when depression and trauma is invalidated it only gets worse and deeper and has more effects so can i jump in for a minute so if we talk about the ripple effect because you said you know the core group of people who experiences the trauma but if we look at that and add the ripple effect because as you said, white people understand what impacts them. 
How are they impacted by it? Because their mental health is clearly being affected by this uh, paradigm as well. So can you talk about that a little bit? And maybe I'm wrong. I I just don't think that white people are are having a mental health problem from this. I don't think I just don't. Here's what the system is designed to keep white America happy Mm. and healthy. That's how the system was designed. And so unless white America is, unless that system is challenged, unless white America is pulled out of that comfort zone, there, 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 there is no generational trauma. Like you, we could talk about, let's talk about poor white America because it makes it a little easier to, to transition the conversation. So let's talk about poor white America. Generational trauma exists in poverty, of course, but that, that cycle can be broke in one generation. In one generation, if, if, I, if I become wealthy, I've broken the cycle of generational trauma and I no longer have to pass that trauma down to my children. Who is the worst at spending money? Poor folk. I'm telling you something. I grew up poor and I was poor, poor. Like we were poor, poor. My dad was on food stamps, like actual the coupons, the blue, yeah. yellow, green coupons, and telling me that Black America was on welfare. Like it's, 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 you know, but anyway, we were poor, poor. We got one pair of shoes. And when you got off of school, you took that pair of shoes off and you went outside barefoot. We went outside barefoot, the stereotypical rednecks barefoot outside. And it wasn't because we were just rednecks because I didn't have a second pair of shoes. You're not ruining your school shoes. You know, I, at the beginning of the school year, you got five pair of pants and five shirts. It's what you got. And by the end of the year, they got holes. They're dirty. And that's, you still had them because we were poor, poor. I grew up and I've became successful in my life and I do have a good income and I do make good money. And the biggest struggle I've had the last 10 years is figuring out how to manage my money. Mm-hmm. I've been the worst money manager you've ever met. And now, finally, as I'm getting gray hairs, I'm getting better at it. But it's because I was poor. I didn't respect money. I didn't, I didn't, I never had it. You don't, you don't save money. There's no, nothing to save. And so that to me is what I'm trying to teach my children to save money. Cause that was the generational trauma to me. So is there generational trauma in a white community? Yes. Isolated pockets based on class experience. I hear what you're saying. And I guess I want to take it out of the generational trauma, which you explained excellently in poverty. And it makes sense because money becomes your enemy when you're poor. And so, you know, it's your enemy. And so you're fighting against it Mm -hmm. by not valuing it in the same way. So there is there Mm -hmm. is a challenge uh, emotionally and in, in terms of like like a mental health way. But even if we put it in the larger, less traumatized, impoverished community of whiteness. I I find it hard to believe, and I think it's part of the dissonance, that they are not affected emotionally, not comparatively, but are not impacted emotionally by the turmoil happening in the center, which is the marginalized population. But I think the key is what you said, which is the dissonance. Yeah, I do too. I think there is, to a degree, I have to agree that you're what you're saying, there is some mental impact because you know it's happening and you have to willfully turn a blind eye, right? So what we do, and this is, this is just, listen, during the Jim Crow era, when, when, when people were being lynched in the streets, humans don't do that to other humans. So in order for that to be possible, you have to first dehumanize an entire group. So that is where these tropes come from. We had to convince white America that black men are just out raping white women. We have to convince them of that. We've got to convince them that they're lazy, that they're criminals. You've got to convince them that they're just inherently bad people so that when one is lynched publicly in the streets and they're selling tickets to it, no, nothing's felt. you got children watching this, whatever. It's not a human. And so to me, and I've said this before, that programmed dehumanization of marginalized communities, especially black communities, 
that's been passed down. Like we're not that far separated from it. Yeah. Okay. And there's to this to right now, canvas white America because they'll have this conversation when nobody else is around and ask them about their grandmother that's currently in a home because she's going through dementia and she's saying things they never heard her say before, and it's just these racial just this disgusting things that my grandmother's never said that before. Yeah, she kept the lid on it, right? But this is really what she was. was this, your grandmother lived through that as a child. We're not that far separated from it. That we systematically dehumanized Black America. And until we systematically humanize Black America, that will continue. And I mean that. I, I, it's not over. White America as a collective, subconsciously, how whatever you want to use, does not see Black America yet as humans. That's why I love, me personally, as soon as I heard the phrase, Black Lives Matter, I said, oh my God, that's the one. I like that. I didn't even know it was going to be a nationwide movement. Nobody did, right? But when I heard Black Lives Matter, I was like, that's it. That's right. That's what I've been saying. Humanization of Black people has to happen. And that's true with other communities. But what you're saying is also what gets appropriated and becomes performative to continue taking the weight and the power out of it. Because Black Lives Matter, boom. So now Blue Lives Matter and health matters. And my hair matters. Like everything's matters now. And it's strategic. It's a strategic part of the system to make it an everyday thing, to homogenize it and to make it, oh, everything matters. Just another way of saying all lives matter. So yeah, because we turn human rights that's into the political fight. That's white people's response to Black Lives Matter. Well, it's it's a it's a systemic response, you know, which yes. is why things Correct. like you know yes. Juneteenth are given up. So now you know your life matters, and that's that's not nothing that Black people ask for, you know. So that yeah, Juneteenth is a holiday. Jo- uh, Derek Chauvin gets twenty two and a half years, right? And they sit next to each other by weeks. Well, the, t- like- the timing, strategic. Yeah, exactly. This is right next to each other by weeks. So we had to systemically develop a way to dehumanize people, to treat them the way we treated them. And that is built into what America is. It's built into it. And we're not very far removed, again, from the Jim Crow era when these lynchings were occurring. And so Susie said this program, White American Response, is because we were taught how to dehumanize. My dad looked me dead in the eyes and said, black people are drug dealers, they're lazy, they don't want to get a job, they live on welfare. Then a guy knocked on the front door, my dad sold him a bag of weed, he looked at me and told me I work hard, I can't make enough money, that's why I sell these drugs, and then we went to the store and bought food on food stamps. The very Everything that he told me black America was, we were, 200 years ago, rich white landowners told poor white people, listen, you're poor, but hey, at least you ain't black. And that was the message that was told to poor white people 200 years ago. What I need everybody to understand is that message exists now. It has made the test of time. It has survived everything. It was passed down. My dad believed it. We might be poor, but at least we ain't black. Because every stereotype he put on black people, he lived it. But at least he ain't black. But he he didn't say that. It was just part of his fabric and part of his being. It's woven into the blanket of what is America. You said earlier, racism versus white supremacy. That is white supremacy. White supremacy is this blanket of protection around white America. And part of that blanket of protection is to dehumanize anybody who challenges it. Because we've been taught that's the answer. We've been taught that's how you do it. How do you lynch people in the street? You dehumanize them. How do you make people slaves? You dehumanize them, 
right? And we do that. How do we how do we keep kids in cages on the border? We first dehumanize them. We call them illegals. Once you take the word out, they're not humans anymore. They're illegals. They broke a law. Knowing white America breaks laws every single day. That's how you do it. That is the, that is the playbook. That's the game plan. And we've never stopped doing it. And that is literally a conversation that must be had on a super large scale. Yes. And we must attack that because the system is not broken. It's working exactly the way it was intended. Okay, two more questions. Mm-hmm. Sure. So white people are so afraid of critical race theory, which is basically teaching the real history of America. You do your own version of this daily. What is the hope for you on your platforms? <laughs> platforms. My hope, honestly, like I said, is to, is to find those people that are on the fence or those people that are not vocal and those people who don't truly understand but they want to understand, to understand. And my goal is to make them unapologetic because unapologetic is the only way to do this. Everything, I can find every problem we have in history and I can tie it directly to compromising with white America, right? The, the reason the Confederate flag is still flying is we compromise with white America. It needs to go away. Nazi Germany died and Germany banned the swastika and Germany banned Nazism as they should. We didn't. We compromised with white America. So my goal, honestly, is to create an army of unapologetic white people who just aren't going to have a safe space for people to operate in their own bigotry, quite frankly. And and critical race theory ties into that, right? Until you understand, look, there was a video of a guy from Palm Beach County, Florida, raising hell at the school board because the school board had added an equity statement in their mission statement or whatever in the school book. So I I noticed something and I told my buddy this and I never made a video and I meant to. My buddy said, oh my God, you're right, Russell. I, I didn't notice that. I noticed something a lot of people didn't notice. All it said in there was equity. And then he went on a rant about how we're wanting to give black people things and because they're black and brown, they get things that white people don't get. Like nobody ever said that you made that association in your own brain when you heard the word equity. And that's because deep down inside of who we are, deep down inside of white America, deep down inside, we know that equity favors us. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that guy got mad, he immediately said, so you're saying you're going to give stuff to black people. Wait a minute. There was literally no race mentioned. How'd you draw that conclusion? Because he had to shed his own cognitive dissonance to talk about it. So what really makes white America upset? A lot of people think, well, white America don't want to give up what they got. No, that's not true. They don't, they don't, because they don't believe it's real. They don't believe it's real. So they're not, they don't think they're giving anything up. What white America believes is that they're under attack. You're trying to, you're trying to blame them for it. America, white America doesn't want to be blamed for it. White America wants to be, white America wants you to do it this way. Listen. Everybody gather around. Racism exists. Our, our ancestors are responsible for it. You guys didn't. You're all good. We love you. I want to give each one of you a hug individually. Line up. And once we're done hugging, then we're going to come together and find a solution. That's what white America wants you to do. And that's compromise with white America. And compromise with white America has given us every problem we have in history. That is the crossroads that we're at. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for today. And JD is going to take us home. So you said something earlier that I I wanted to kind of have you reflect on, which is there are things that got taken away, like the Black Panthers, and yet the KKK and expansions of it still exist. And that is about what in your mind? So it goes back to dehumanization, but we see, so white America sees Black people as a threat, period. 
just the, the black skin is a threat. Okay. And so anytime black people collectively say, I've had enough, collectively forming a group, that's a threat to white America because it's, it's like, you know, Malcolm X said, uh, we should all, that, that, that the black community should arm themselves. He didn't say attack white America. He never said that. But what did white America say? He's trying to attack us. They're arming to attack us. That is your subconscious. That is your projection yes. because white America, KKK was formed to attack black America. So any formation on the other side of the fence must be the same projection to me, right? White America labeled black America lazy because white America was actually lazy making slaves do all the work. White America labeled black people violent when white America is the most violent in history, right? White it's projection. We project on other groups who we are, whereas inside of our own group, we handle it differently. Like I tell people all the time, I don't want to give up my white privilege. I just want it for everybody else. I don't I don't want to change leniency and sentencing for white people. I just want that same leniency and sentencing for everybody. Right. So white America in a vacuum is making good decisions for white mm-hmm. Americans. And like when I, when I watch a police officer not kill a white guy who's clearly doing shit that would get him killed if he wasn't white, I say, good job, cop. Now just do that for non-white people. Like, that's why, because we're not going to treat the KKK like a threat because that's our uncle's neighbor's brother's sister. We know who they are. Yeah. Right. The black group. I don't know who they are. That's just they're, that's dangerous, you know, and, and that's the difference. You know, and when the, the Black Panthers, Panthers started to unify with other groups, that's when it became a real threat because oh. they had, you know, white people. The FBI infiltrated them. Who else has the FBI infiltrated? That was a civil rights movement in this country. It blows my mind, right, <laughs> that this happened publicly and well known and it's not hidden. There, there, this isn't a conspiracy. It is well documented. But white America doesn't know that they're kept from that information because like clockwork. OK. It's Black History Month, but sit around. There was Martin Luther King, and he had a dream, and then the Civil Rights Act happened, and the dream came true. The end. Any other questions about racism? Like, that's how white America's taught, right? And in any other conversation, oh, no, Malcolm X was uh, was a bad guy, wanted to kill white people. Mm -hmm. Listen to this one speech where he said, I want to kill white people. And then they used the words of Malcolm. Oh, Mm -hmm. Russell, you're a white liberal. Malcolm warned us about you. First of all, you're white. Malcolm didn't warn you about shit. Malcolm wasn't talking to you. (laughs) Okay. Secondly, you're talking about in this case, you're talking about Malcolm X, but you don't even know about El Haj Malik El Shabazz, right? We don't you don't even know what that means. So like white America's quick to pick out the pieces of the puzzle that really sound good to them and throw the rest in the trash so they don't got to put it together. Critical race theory forces them to put it together. I just that last one silenced me. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. So this is clearly gonna have to be two shows because you have such a strong message and I don't want to have it edited out. So we're going to make this two shows. And uh, I appreciate that. it's important because you have the knowledge and you share it in a responsible way. You have the privilege and you share it in a responsible way. And I, I just really think that that is so helpful because, you know, we're exhausted. Tell Susie and anybody to listen. It's, it's a rare day when I don't wake up in tears and my eyes concerned about what I'm going to see. And, you know, being on the front line, doing the work that I've done and feeling as passionate about being, you know, one of the abolitionists in society and really trying to actively do sharing of information, but also uh, trying to teach and and running, you know, culturally competent therapy because we're both therapists, you know, doing it in a way that's responsible because there is no neutrality and silence is violence. 
And if we don't start being activists in our work, then how do you do it in your, your private life? I don't understand. It's got right, to go right, together. Right. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on today. And I, and I have one more. Well, first of all, I want you to promise you'll come back. I'm coming back. I'll be back. No, no matter how big you get, you have to come back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll always come. Back. I've enjoyed this. Actually, I've enjoyed the conversation thoroughly. Excellent. Uh, and, and I very much I can tell just by your questions and the way you guys present yourself. You you are you have educated yourself in this topic. And that's who I much prefer to speak to. Right. Like I spent all day arguing with idiots on the Internet. <laughs> this was a breath of fresh air. I don't Thank know you. how you do it. And I, I read your threads. <laughs> well, I mean, I you do it because you feel like you have to do it. That's why. Right. You know, and, that, and that's and you have family members. So it's it's in your it's in your life. And that's the thing is. And that's the same way black people do it. And people of color do it. We don't have a choice. We're trying not to be killed. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. that, it, that's it, serious. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, I told, told my wife this too. I said, you know, some of this stuff I could just I could just like not reply to this guy, but I've put myself in this position on purpose, and it needs to be replied to. Uh, he needs this. This I got to talk. It's got to be done. I got to educate. It's exhausting because what you just that that's exhausting. Being a black person in America trying to educate white America. Oh my God! So thank you for even trying. But but I can only imagine why it exhausts you because it is. I'm going to tell you, and you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to tell you this one little yeah. thing. What lifted me into social media fame or whatever the word we want to use, because uh, I've been saying the same thing for a long right. time, and I've been on Facebook and, and social media for a long time. Last year, right after you know George Floyd got murdered and everything, I, I really got fed up because I knew I, I called it. I said, all these anti-racists are not going to be anti-racist two weeks, and I was right, and I started argue with them. And I started arguing more. I used to just like, I'm not arguing with an idiot. And I just started arguing more with people I never met. And I told my brother, and my brother is, is mixed black and white. I told my brother, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start making one minute videos. That's what had nothing to do with TikTok. I just decided that one minute was the consumable <laughs> format. I'm going to start making one minute videos that answer these dumbass questions these people say over and over and over and over again. And I'm just going to make a YouTube channel with just one minute videos. And then every time these idiots say something, I'm just going to copy and paste the link. Here you go. There's the video. I'm not repeating myself anymore. I made my very first video where I broke down the statistics of how I can prove to you that black America is killed by the cops 2.87 times higher than white America. I made that video in front of my whiteboard. And I said, hey, there's this app, TikTok, where one minute videos exist. Let me just put it on there and see how the feedback's like. And in the first day, that video had 30 million views. Mm. So, yeah. And I, I now obviously never expected that in, a, in a 30 million years. But <laughs> But it made me realize, hey, this is a good idea. Because the same people that were consuming that video were the same people that were also tired the way I was tired. I'm tired of saying the same shit over and over. So rather than say it over and over, let me just have a, a link. Here you go. And people will tell me all the time, my DM, hey, I just send your videos, my family now. And, and that is literally how I got started on the social media side of it. Because it is exhausting to say the same damn thing over and over and over and over. You know, I do trainings and initially it was difficult to come up with prices because truly they can never pay me enough for the exhaustion I experienced <laughs> going in and trying to teach something, you know, people do not want to learn. So I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. And you've already answered this. But we're going to ask you because it's the name of the show. What does changing the narrative mean to you? I like that question because changing the narrative, number one, humanizing um, black America. Uh, we've system systematically, not systemically, systematically dehumanized black America. And we need to systematically undo that. Number two, and this is where a lot of people don't like my message, and that's okay. Number two, I, fix means 
to go back to a time when something was working. America was never working for anybody besides white America. And unfortunately, I, the only solution I see is to burn this system down and make a new one. And so to me, if we want to change the narrative, we got to throw white America away. I don't mean the people. I mean white supremacy. I mean the, the blanket of white supremacy that sits around white America. And, 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 and until we do that, until we find it within ourselves as a country to literally throw the whole thing away, there comes a point where it just is you got to throw it away. And so that's where we are. And so to me, if that doesn't happen, then unfortunately, my children are going to be picking the fight up when I'm done. Love it. You are awesome. Thank you for letting Susie stalk you. And uh, I did not feel stalked at all, by the way. (laughs) And get you on the show. Thank you for promising in the recording that you will come back no matter how much you blow up. You won't forget about us. You got it on record. I can't deny (laughs) it. Exactly. Because it's too important uh, for people to hear what you have to say. You, You speak the truth. And I love truth tellers. They're my favorite people. So again, thank you. Well, so I appreciate much. you guys very much. Thanks for having me. For on. sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for stalking me. <laughs> You're welcome. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller. JD and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back.